recently in, in Montreal. That's what they called it there too. In fact, that's the title of their webpage. I put the, the site up, the link to the site up on my website. Look into the archives and you'll find it. And he called it the New World Order. Of course, it was a nice green background because everything's suddenly going green. You know, going green at one time meant you were about to throw up. And believe me, with all the propaganda that they're spewing out there to bring in this global system and save the environment and all this stuff in order to control everybody, we feel like doing the latter, don't we? Just make sure no one's in your way. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. And the matrix really is just the big system that you think is reality. Uh, people adapt through, all through their lives to amazing changes without ever really consciously working through why they're adapting to the changes or even what's causing the changes. Something that's known to planners and strategists at the top of every country. Old sciences, in fact, but we do adapt to everything so quickly. And I'm just thinking back today, I was talking to someone about a possible TV show. And I realized that they really didn't have much of a background on what's happening in the world. Some people call it conspiracies. I don't call it conspiracy so much because it's published. Whatever, whatever they want to do from the big foundations and through various politicians that come in and out of politics and back to the foundations. They love to write memoirs and books and, and so on about their plans. And all academia has been socialized for so long, mainly through all the grants from the foundations that they get. They, along with it comes their agendas and their, their curriculum, etc., what to teach, what not to teach, and lots of suggestions, you might say. So everyone's really grown up through the socialized system without recognizing they were being socialized. And socialism truly is a, a system of a small dominant minority who think they know better than you how you and everyone else should live. It's a totalitarian type of system run by uh, self-professed experts. Exactly what Lord Bertrand Russell said they would do. They've done it to the public. He said they would train the public, train them. Uh, so that they couldn't think or do anything for themselves without the advice of an expert. And we're bombarded with experts daily. If you're sitting watching the TV or whatever, or radio, listen to radio, regular radio stations, you're bombarded with uh, little tidbits from experts. So much so that we put our own uh, intelligence to the side, our own experiences in life, and we listen to them. And we, th we, we, we think they must be correct because they're experts and I'm not an expert therefore I'll sit back and, and, and just listen to what they say and do what they say it's a very simple technique of control it's not new because experts can be given in any age in any country in any era in ancient times the experts were the priests and everything your whole reality would come from the religion that you were given the experts were the priests the intercessors between you and the deity and because they had an education, uh, then they could put it across very, very eloquently, a whole bunch of stuff that would be absolutely real to you. 
After all, what did you know? Down in the bottom there, what did you know? And it's nothing, it's not that different today. It's the same technique that's used. Only the white-coated priests are the ones that are being fronted to control the public on behalf of a very, very wealthy uh, conglomerate, you might say, of people who used to be called robber barns, the ones that clawed their way up into, into multinational, international corporations back as far back as the 1700s and then in the 1800s, and then they established their foundations, the foundations that would be charitable institutions run by these philanthropists that also kept their hand in their big business. And they, they formed a form of parallel governments. Now all politicians need money to run in every country, in democracy. That's why they gave us democracy. And along, just like the universities, along with the grants and little things they dole out, the politicians are hand-picked and questioned to see where they'll go and will they take advice from the guys who fund them. Many of them are picked young and groomed for their positions. I've read before Professor Carl Quigley's book, Tragedy and Hope, and his other fantastic work is called the Anglo-American Establishment and he wrote as the historian not just a professor of a university but also as a man who picked Rhodes Scholars for, for the scholarship and sent them off to Oxford in England like Bill Clinton he also worked for the State Department he advised military on different things because they need the histories of the cultures and so on of people that you're going to uh, one day take over and that's been in the news recently, even how they have ethnologists and anthropologists and historians working with the military today. Same thing back in Quigley's day in the 60s, 1960s. And he said that the parallel government had already been operating for 60 years, and he wrote the book in the 60s. He said it had been operating and running America since, well, the late 1800s. Writing as the historian allowed in to the records, very, very private records, in the Harold Pratt building in New York. And he also, of course, had uh, access to Chatham House, the British branch of it, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. In, in America, they called it the CFR, parallel government. It's interesting that Chatham House was also the headquarters when they suddenly needed an OSS, the precursor to MI6 and CIA. During World War II, they turned it in to the intelligence headquarters to the U.S. and Britain through Chatham House in London or in England. And no one asks, that's not strange, that this official spy agency that they formed would actually be formed within an existing office of a private, not-for-profit organization. And, of course, the history of that place was, you see, they already were running the spy, the major, only major spy network international that there was, because they, at Chatham House, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, had been called name, had different names in the past, such as the, the Milner, Lord Alfred Milner Group, uh, that were comprised entirely of bankers and their rich sons, and also the Cecil Rhodes Foundation that merged together with them, and that's what became the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Now, it's given a royal charter to exist. You can't say royal 
in any British country without getting a charter from the Crown, you see. So they're authorised to use that name, which should make people wonder, why is this organisation that boasts about the fact that they're all for the integration of Europe and helped it to happen? They came out on television in Canada in 2005 when the first open signing of the integration of the Americas took place and said that they drafted it up for the politicians to sign. No one asks why this private, not-for-profit, philanthropic organization has its hands across the planet, its hands across the planet into every country's affairs, directing the, the, the shape and, and future of the world, until you go into the books, of course, the say Professor Carl Quigley, who told us why, that they set up the idea for world government run on a socialist-type system over the masses. They set it up, literally, at the end of the 1800s. That was their plan. And Britain was to be the embryo. The British Empire would be the model that a future world government would take. And, of course, then they pushed for the League of Nations as a front for themselves. And that became the United Nations. Quickly, but as far as to say that he thought the public should now know and probably would accept the fact that, the, that this organization had been responsible for every major event that happened in the last hundred-odd years internationally. He's talking about wars and everything. They're behind it all. And as I see this odd relationship where they have members who are in governments across the world, often at the top. In fact, quickly said himself that it didn't matter about the United States who got in, left or right. He said, because we always have a member at the top. Top man is always a member or woman. Doesn't have to have all the rest of the politicians down below. They just, they're there to, to, to act like trained seals in a the circus. They clap for the leader, for the party, because they want to get up the ladder. They vote with the party. You just need to put your people in at the top. And of course, advisors, etc., generally are members as too. It's interesting, too, that his book itself, uh, I think it was bought over by Macmillan, and in those days, of course, they used the hot press to publish the print, and they smashed, they told them, they smashed the plates. Luckily enough, books were already published, but we wouldn't even know that this group was so heavily involved in shaping the destiny of the entire planet. Now, many of its members have written books too, now, and they have offshoots, specialized branches. As I say, many of the, the members of the Fabian Society that Tony Blair belongs to and the present uh, Prime Minister of Britain, Mr. Brown, uh, many of them were members of the Fabian Society as well, you see, and they could go back and forth between these other associated agencies or foundations, other charitable groups, is what they call themselves. And they got the jobs done, and, and they're also in and out of politics and back and forth with the foundations. So they're just a revolving door. Same with high-level bureaucrats. And yet the public have been sold at the idea they're living in some kind of a democracy where the people you represent represent them. And yet, if you've lived long enough, you'll, you'll see, and you can't help but see left or right doesn't matter, they are, they're all hell-bent on the same course of complete integration for the planet, not just integration, 
that's not the point. The point is it's a, special, it's a particular type of society they want to bring out. And at the top of their list, of course, is now what they're, now what they're calling, they're hiding behind the greening agenda to save the planet. That's the excuse they're giving. Before, they were also using the eugenics agenda and depopulation. Well, now they're combining it all into saving the planet, depopulation, sterilization, etc. And they're on a roll because they have their own people across the planet in every so-called democratic country on board in consensus with the agenda. Uh, Back with more after these messages. through the matrix. As I said earlier, uh, today when I was talking to someone from a, one of the big regular TV stations, uh, when they were asking about a particular topic, I realized that people themselves didn't have the background. And it's possible that they're younger. It's also possible that, like most people, maybe even more than most people, so than most people, they float through life always always into the now, today, what's happening today, especially when it's news. And they adapt themselves up to through all the changes without even really being conscious of it. When 9-11 happened, for instance, I think it was Rumsfeld or Cheney came on, it was one of the spokesmen that came right on and said, life, and this is at the top, this is, this is from the government, life will never be the same again. Now that's a little statement that most people hear and and it goes through their head and gone. Uh, But it's also predictive programming because so much is said in such a statement but the very fact it wasn't qualified after, it wasn't broken down as to in in what respect you talk. It meant life is never going to be the same again. And since 9-11, we've seen the changes. The whole world went into action together because they had signed all these different treaties and agreements long before 9-11 came along, meaning we're already international. It's done through treaties and alliances. We used to call it leagues at one time. And remember, when your, your heads of your government sign international agreements, that's binding by law. Never mind the fact that going as far back as the, the signing into the, the San Francisco Treaty to do the United Nations all that time ago, literally meant that every country was sold out sold out to to lose some of their, their, their sovereignty interesting that John Holdren who wrote a book called Eco-Science I think it was with Paul Ehrlich and his wife he says in there that the first step was to get nations to give up their sovereignty he says it said, it said part of their sovereignty. The first step is to give up part of their sovereignty. See, the rest would follow. If you take down one pillar, that the rest are weakened, and they, they, they can hit you, and if one by one they go down. And that's how it's already happened. So when 9-11 happened, everyone went into action at the same time because they all had these international agreements. They're all basically socialist in nature, every country. And they're all on board. Now they have foundations that literally fund other foundations just to go out and get consensus from all governments. 
on particular issues and agendas. Building consensus means that everyone across the planet at the top is in agreement with something. That's why they put the people in, the ones they can count on to be in agreement. To the public, they're still living in a make-believe world that representatives actually represent them and that politicians deal with crisis as they pop up. And again, 9-11, every country is now basically, although it's not evident in some yet, but basically you're under a form of martial law. It will be imposed soon. You, you see the signs of it. It's almost like all the things are waiting in the wings to be unleashed upon the public. And we've had these very bleak, futuristic um, uh, declarations from the Department of Defense. I've got the 90 pages from the British one, the think tank for Britain and NATO, and the one from the U.S. as well. It's up on my archives on my website, telling you that the future is bleak and that these, these forces that have been used since 9-11 will be used on the public because of food shortages and things like this coming along and depressions, financial depressions, etc., etc., and it makes you wonder, are we simply living through shock and awe? Is that what it is? Shock and awe. We heard it used in Iraqis. We thought, that, well, I guess that's just for foreigners. Oh, no, 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 no. Everything is used back home as well. Shock and awe. One shock after another. By this time, all, all the major media said in the winter, by now, this is July, although here in Canada you probably know it because it hit 45 degrees last night, Fahrenheit. But July, we're supposed to have riots on the street. They call it the summer of rage. And all the police forces and military across the world were getting fed this stuff, get ready for battle with the public. It was going to be a summer of rage. Well, where'd it go? We've had financial depressions, supposedly. They came out of the blue, supposedly. Which is utter nonsense. We've had governments throw billions at banks. They're still doing it. And we're supposed to all die shortly of a, of a flu that hasn't mutated yet into a killer. And we're going to be forced to get injections, supposedly. Uh, where's the democracy in any of this? Never mind the, 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 the true science in any of this. We're going through shock and awe, one after another. And look how people are adapting to it. People who you'd think, even in the media, would know better. But like everyone else, you're caught up in today, today, and all they want to do is grab news and throw it out there to the public, and it's almost unreal to them. And news certainly is surrealistic when you look at the main stories, and then you look at all the ads on the, on the round, and you look at all the, the boob babes you have down the right-hand side, like in the European papers. Everything is bizarre, and it's interesting that, that uh, in, in the science of torture... They talk about sadomasochism and how they mix sex with horror. Well, that's how it's presented on the screen to us. Horror stories with sex all down the right-hand side. Same technique. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. 
Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just discussing how we adapt, we adapt to every major change without really consciously thinking about it or even reflecting on the recent past or even the remote past. And that's what they count on at the top and they keep throwing things at us to keep us off balance. But what you're noticing today, and since 9-11, is everything is about obeying authority. Where it's a health authority. They're now authorities, they're not services anymore. And obeying military or police or whatever, or officialdom, it's all about obeyance. We're being trained to obey through shock and awe techniques and fear of our lives. I always remember, I think it was was, uh, Goring, not Goebbels, but Goring himself, who was head of the Luftwaffe, World War II, very flamboyant psychopath, and uh, he did say that it's easy to, to take over countries. He says, all you do is terrify the public of a, of a threat and then say that the government's not doing enough to, to defend the people or protect them, and the people will, will get you in, they'll even vote you in. And that's used today. The only difference being that those in government are waiting for the demands again by the NGOs, non-governmental organizations that are funded by the parallel government foundations. And this is how the system works now. I notice even when the Greenies uh, get what they wanted to do with sustainability and cutting back on carbon and rewelding the world and all that stuff, um, when they get what they want by the politicians and the politicians say, okay, we're going to reduce by 5, 10, 15% emissions, etc., Immediately, the Greenies immediately say, well, that's not enough. We'll all be dead by then, etc. And, and this is a technique, but they both work in tandem now. The government is run on the Soviet system where they, the, the people don't realize that Soviet meant rule by councils. They meant non-governmental organizations to an extent. So every tradespeople, every group, every specialist had their own spokespeople appointed to them. They were like non-governmental organizations. The only difference being that their government, the Politburo, would appoint the leaders of the NGOs, you see, to demand from the government exactly what the government wants to hear. And that's how it's used across the Western world now, the Soviet system. The governments, at least at the top, as I see Carol Quigley said, it's always their boys or, or girls who are in at the top. CFR in America, Royal Institute of International Affairs in Britain. And they even have one for the whole Europe, of Europe now, international uh, organization from the RRIA, Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's a Royal Institute for European Affairs. And they demand, they get the NGOs to demand exactly what the governments want to hear. They can put stuff through. The public think it's all democratic. In fact, most of the public, to be honest, don't think at all about NGOs or the, or the different groups they hear in the newspaper. Uh, they've already, you see, acquiesced the, the, to the authority of these groups who have heard them ab- about them so often and they've been fed uh, the names on the media so often and spokespeople for these groups so often they think they're official, they're private organizations we don't vote them in they're not responsible to the general public for their, for their agendas or what they're doing and this is the new democracy, or the, the post-democratic democracy, they may call it. We are post-democratic now, because we accept authorities, and they're on a roll. They used to call it fascism, when big business combined with government. Fascism, that 
you have big pharma dictating what, what they want to give the public and, and, the, and the government sign it into law. What a deal. I mean, you can't go wrong in the pharma business, can you? The more plagues you can scare the folk with, real or imaginary, doesn't matter, as long as government's buying billions of dollars worth of the stuff, the antidotes from you, that might or might not work according to the pharma. There's no guarantee. Isn't that a beautiful deal? To sell your wares? Fascism. And of course, there are many other reasons for it too. And we'll find about those reasons once they've given people the shots. You only see sickness then, all right. And they'll just say, well, it was the wrong shot. It didn't work with this flu. As you're all suffering or dying off. Great cover, isn't it? That should be giving you something. Why not? As I say, you have John Holdren, uh, the science czar, appointed science czar for the U.S. government, with the book, as I say, Eco-Science, where they'd have to cull down the population and sterilize people forcibly, if need be, or even put sterilization agents, chemicals in the water or food. That's the guy who's the science czar for the U.S. Do you think these guys are kidding? Do you really think they're kidding? Is it just some sort of strange hobby that they've dragged along down through the years? Do you think that's what they're up? Or do you think maybe, maybe they might mean it? What do you think, eh? What do you think? It's all surrealistic to you. Here's, here's a, an idea of how surrealism works. It knocks you off kilter, the way things are presented. This is from Fox News. Uh, and it's uh, the SciTech column or page, SciTech. But at the top, it's interesting because it says, it's got Sonia Sotomayor hearings. That, that, that's, that's the drama for the public right now. Next up is the space shuttle. Now, the space shuttle is so remote from the public. Again, it's something that's way out there, like a war way over yonder. It's remote from us, you see. And then underneath that is Michael Jackson. This is the main news, right? And underneath it, it says, upcoming military robot could feed on dead bodies. I thought this was a joke at first. Wednesday, July the 15th, 2009. So from Sonia Sotomayor to Space Shuttle to Michael Jackson to, 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 to corpse-eating robots. It could be a combination of 19th century mechanics, 21st century technology, and a 20th century horror movie. A Maryland company under contract to the Pentagon is working on a steam-powered robot that would fuel itself by gobbing, gobbling up whatever organic material it can find. Grass, wood, old furniture, even dead bodies. The Greenies will love this one because it tidies everything up again. It's all organic matter. Robotech Technologies, Inc.'s energetically uh, autonomous tactical robot, that's right, that's what they call it, EATR, ETER, right? Can find, ingest, and extract energy from biomass and environments and other organically-based energy sources as well as use conventional and alternative fuels such as gasoline, heavy, heavy fuel, kerosene, diesel, propane, coal, cooking oils, and solar when suitable, reads the company's website. The biomass and other organically-based energy sources wouldn't necessarily be limited to plant material. Animal and human corpses contain plenty of energy, and they'd be plentiful in a war zone. This is very practical, isn't it? These guys and scientists that have their little houses and their little homes, maybe, maybe a spouse and children, 
and a little rose garden and maybe be nice to their neighbours. This is the stuff they work on for the war-making industry. And they live with it quite easily. And they're probably very pleasant people when you talk to them. Just doing their jobs. Getting paid extremely well for it. The government throws out billions for every little gimmick that they want in a time when we're supposed to be all broke. And remember, something like this can just be reprogrammed remotely to go for living creatures too. Each will be powered by the waste heat engine developed by Cyclone Power Technology of Pompano Beach, Florida, which uses an external combustion chamber, burning up fuel to heat up water in a closed loop, generating electricity. The advantage to the military is that the robot would be extremely flexible in fuel sources and could roam on its own for months, even years, without having to be refueled or serviced. Upon the ETER platform, the Pentagon could build all sorts of goodies, I guess, a transport, an ambulance, a communications center, even a mobile gunship. Oh. This is impressed materials, robotic technology presents ETER as the essentially benign artificial creature that fills its belly through foraging, despite the obvious military purpose. And you can download from this page uh, a PDF any more details of ITER, I guess that'll be the next game on the internet as it goes around uh, from the sky or whatever and grabs people and licks its lips. That's the world. But at the top, as I say, so Sotomayor, Space Shuttle, and Michael Jackson. See, surrealism. Nothing's real anymore to the public. And then the things appear, and because it's real to your subconscious, you're not really shocked. You seem to adapt and accept it. Quite something. Then next to that, you get um, this article here from Yahoo News and AP Associated Press. Today, Israeli soldiers said there was no clear red lines in the Gaza war. Israeli soldiers who fought last winter's Gaza war says the military used Palestinians as human shields and probably fired incendiary white phosphorus shells over civilian areas and used overwhelming firepower that caused needless deaths and destruction, according to a report released Wednesday. The testimonies were far the strongest allegations to come from war veterans that the army used excessive force during the three-week offensive and echoed claims already leveled by Palestinian and human rights groups. The military rebutted the report, saying the accounts were anonymous and impossible to verify. Mind you, every military in the world would, would always deny. It's not unique. But anyway, yeah, they used, they used, they said that they described demolishing buildings, vandalizing homes, and using more than essential firepower, given the relatively light resistance they encountered. One said the army needlessly used white phosphorus. That's like the stuff that burns everything it comes in contact with of its flesh. Well, I wonder how that uh, eating machine would, would deal with these corpses Maybe it would melt its inside, or maybe it likes it boiled, I don't know. One said the army, army needlessly used white phosphorus, a masking agent that can cause severe burns. Not can, it does. For smoke screens, others said regulations for opening fire were vague, and that soldiers were expected to do whatever was ever necessary to protect themselves. 21st century, eh? And they're on a rush to bring in the socialist world system and use all force if required. 
Because that thing that you see that's, that's, that's literally affecting us and that we're adapting to across the world will come home. That's why we have a form of martial law. That's why everyone's getting ID cards. That's why the major media, in between all the trivia, are feeding you, feeding you stuff like possible rationing in the future and food shortages and so on. And all those pictures of refugees and or etc. or people rioting will come back to you, and you'll, and you'll see it for yourself. But it'll be kind of familiar to you, and you'll adapt again very quickly. We never know what's really going on at the bottom, except when the big boys publish their memoirs, or they declassify something after 50 years and give us a completely different version of why this or that happened in a major event across the world. And sometimes they reclassify it for another 50 years. A democracy or republic, who says who? Who is responsible to the public? I remember Alexander Hamilton uh, in the letters that uh, Jefferson wrote. Alexander Hamilton, that really was up for a central bank and all the rest of it, had no time for the general public. And his heroes, according to Jefferson, were the big conquerors down through the ages, Alexander the Great and all these guys. Uh, as opposed to Jefferson, who liked intellectuals and the scientific class, etc. And Hamilton, when he was asked about the public and what would the public think about his views, and all, he said he didn't care. He says, he says, this is what Hamilton said. He said, the public, sir, or the people, sir, is a beast. That's what he said. But you know something? I'd rather have an arrogant psychopath tell the truth uh, than, than polished actors telling you nothing but lies written by a bunch of guys you don't elect the script writers and their advisors so I put these links up at the end of the, the night on my website you should go into them and, and look out for yourself we're living it really in a, a fantasy a fantasia of horror uh, shock and awe Utter trivia, lots of sex, and semi-comedy, augmented by soap operas for, for, for a good proportion, male and female, apparently, these days, and comedy shows on television, and greening documentaries. We've had about 40, 50 years of, of greening documentaries, getting us all ready for what's happening now. They say the eugenicists said they'd have to have other reasons or a good excuse to bring it in. So they stopped, stopped saying just kill all the inferior types like the eugenicists used to say or sterilize them by law. And they've got, they've got the threat, they've got the goring type threat of a, a, a war, a war that's raging between the planet and man. Man's the enemy. And so to save man, we have to take all your rights away and rule you and sterilize you. I've got article after article from mainstream that are talking about sterilizing the public. This one just came out in Britain today, another one, mainstream, where a reporter said, yeah, I used to be against all this uh, eugenics and, and, and bringing the population down stuff. Now he's all for it. His career is going to really take off from, from now, I guarantee you. The big boys will see to that. 
or whoever paid him off. And I've always said too, remember that the parallel government never throws out a politician when they've been a very good servant. They join the parallel government when they leave politics. And that's what Professor Carl quickly said. Maggie Thatcher called it the parallel government too. She said she belonged to it when she left. And they all know each other, all these tops and ex-presidents, prime ministers across the world, and top bureaucrats, and they get the jobs done because democracy, you see, is too cumbersome and slow with too many bickering sides, according to the Club of Rome. That's why they favored collectivism for the public in their own book, The First Global Revolution. Here's Tony Blair. Tony Blair, obviously marked. He did everything he was told. He went against everybody in his own cabinet and government and single-handedly cheered this war in the Middle East. He did everything he was told. Another Oxford boy, you see. Great recruitment place for the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And also a member of the Fabian Society. And this is from the Mail Online. It's July 15th. European Minister Gwyneth Kinnock is for the European Union, the big, this big sort of fascist parliament that no one is so secretive no one can find out how it really works. Reinforced speculation that Tony Blair wants to be Europe's first president. The entire government fully supported Mr. Blair's candidature, although the former Prime Minister has refused to confirm that he's bidding for the post. He's a shoo-in. I'll be back with more after this break. And just before I go into a caller, uh, it says here that from this last article to do with Tony Blair, that Mrs. Kinnock visiting the European Parliament in Strasbourg made clear the government would be pushing him, Tony Blair, as the man to run Europe for up to five years under new treaty arrangements. So the British government's pushing Tony Blair. They're backing him as well. But they never retire, these guys. They're either in the parallel government or the backup in the spot running a country or countries, the parallel government. Uh, there's Jeff from New York there. Are you there, Jeff? Hey, Alan. How you doing? I'm hanging in here like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I want to get your take on something. I, I recently uh, heard one of your blurbs on culture creation and uh, the music industry and the Beatles and, and them being handled... Uh, yep. by uh, that, that German philosopher. Because uh, I know music is such a powerful force uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. in the world today uh, as uh, a social... It's politicized. It's just completely politicized, yeah. Uh, the public oh. don't know it. They hear the tunes at the end and sing the songs, but they don't know it. Yeah. Now, should we avoid music altogether, or are there some bands out there? I can think of one in particular, Ministry, uh, that has wrote uh, uh, more than a, a few songs about the New World Order. Um, are there any other bands that you recommend listening to, or should we just avoid um, all these big um, media corporations altogether? Uh, I, don't really, I haven't really listened to too many of them, to be honest with you. Uh, if it's mainstream and it's in the charts, generally I don't go near them. Mm -hmm. I, was, I talked to Vince White from The Clash at the weekend, uh, he was in the Clash. Uh, it was a big group, and he put a book out. It was called "The Last Days of the, Cr uh, the of the Clash," 
It's well worth reading because he shows you, he's written it from an insider's point of view. He was not for socialism, but they were managed, the group and all the rest of it. Even when they did the album covers, they put all these socialist messages on. And he objected to it strongly because he mm. felt he was being used. And he was, of course, and so was all the rest of the guys. But, but the public have no idea that this goes on. It's the big boys at the top who come in, take you over, and now they're using you for a particular movement to influence the youth. And at that time, uh, you had to basically preach socialism or sing socialism or just yell. Uh, if you listen to, say, punk rock and so on, it's like guys just yelling in rage. Uh, and that was to get across the youth. They've got to have a change. Like, change is good, right? <laughs> and, but they didn't realize it was all to bring in this, this totalitarian socialist system, which has nothing to do with what they ever imagined it would be. It's nothing to do with fairness and helping people at the bottom. It's, it's to bring in a, a very small elites of specialists who think they have the right to rule the world and, and, and tell you how to live and make you live that way and, as I say, sterilize you if need be. So it's a good book to read from an insider's point of view. Uh, Vince White, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, the, the Last Days of the Clash. It's, it's, a, oh, it, it's available, it, I think, there in bookstores. It's a pretty good bet that if a band is signed to a major label, they are controlled to some extent. You will be. You can't help it. I mean, I, I remember there was one guy, he became pretty high up in rap, one of the biggest uh, rap groups, and he got into the drugs and all the rest of it, he just escaped with his life. And he admitted afterwards, he says, you know, he says, uh, we went in with a nice song, with the usual thing, boy, girl, that kind of stuff, and the guys who came in to manage them uh, in the studios changed the words until they're into shooting cops and blah, 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 and rebelling. Uh, totally changed it, but they made it a hit. You see? Uh, but the public don't realize, they don't know that. The guys go along with the image, they want the money, they, they get all the girls thrown at them, they think they're living high on the hog, they're getting ripped off even financially, but they're definitely being used for cultural alteration by the culture industry. Okay, yeah. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for coming. And from Hamish and myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.